uh, read to you the entirety of that chapter. It's not that long, but um, you follow in your copies, and let me, uh, I'll confine my comments to something brief, and then we'll meet at the table. Joshua 5, at verse 1. So it was when all the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of the Jordan and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel under, until we had crossed over, that their heart melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives for yourself and circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time. So Joshua made flint knives for himself and circumcised the sons of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. At this, and this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt, who were males, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. For all the people who came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people who were men of war who came out of Egypt were consumed because they did not obey the voice of the Lord to whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers that he would give us a land flowing with milk and honey. Then Joshua circumcised their sons whom he raised up in their, their place for they were, they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. So it was when they had finished circumcising all the people that they stayed in their places in the camp till they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore the name of this place is called Gilgal to this day. Now the children of Israel camped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight on the plains of Jericho. And they ate of the produce of the land on the day after the Passover, unleavened bread and parched grain on the very same day that the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land and the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? So he said, no, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it endures forever. Gang, before we return to our study of the book of Genesis, which we will do, Lord willing, next week, I wanted to spend just a few minutes trying to prepare you for the Lord's Supper, yes. But for the coming months of new ministry ahead of us in the new year as well. I, I, I know I'm probably a week late on this sermon, but as you, I do realize that it's the second Sunday of the month, not the first. Uh, and, and, but as you know, most, most of you know, I was not here last Sunday, so cut me a bit of slack. This is a, this is a very odd story that I just read you. One that I think has a, a certain relevance for Gracie Van, and let me explain to you why, why I think it's relevant for us. In fact, I had planned to do something entirely different. I was going back to Genesis, but in my devotional life this week, I ran across this story, and I thought, God's people have got to hear this. Um, let, me, let me tell you, the, or um, describe the setting. 
What you have here is Israel 40 years after they came out of Egypt. You know, the, the Exodus, that was 40 years ago. They've been out of outer Egypt. They've been wandering around the wilderness for 40 years. And now they have just crossed the Jordan River. They're on the west side of the Jordan. That is, right there staring them in their face is the, the very um, daunting task of battling Jericho. Those, those, uh, those fortified walls of Jericho are staring them down. And just beyond those walls is a world of opportunity. They are in the promised land, and the promised land awaits them. That is, the, the, the conquering and the occupying of the, of the promised land is at their fingertips. Now, that reminded me of us. How so? Well, gang, it's a new year, as you all know, and, and uh, we are about to commence our 15th year of ministry. We will be, we will be 14 years old uh, the 10th of next month. We're about to launch our 15th year. We're going to do it with some brand new elders, some of whom have uh, been grown up in our own midst. We have a, um, we have a, a staff vacancy, as most of you know, which is really a rarity for us. Uh, I hope it doesn't become a commonplace, but um, we have a staff vacancy. And, and that's been upsetting to me. I, I, that just hasn't happened much among us. But in the midst of all that, we have a possibility for a new thrust of evangelism into our community through our athletic ministries, which you've already heard a little bit about. You'll be hearing more uh, in the coming weeks and months. So here we are, new year, new elders, staff vacancy, and lots of opportunity. Now, like Israel, and here's the similarity that I see between us and Israel. They're in some new territory. There's uh, new challenges. There's some uncharted waters. Uh, new, uh, new opportunities, new territory that awaits them. All kinds of opportunity with some fairly significant uh, issues to solve as the opportunity is met. Now, that's how I think we are similar. Now, go back to the story in Joshua 5. Here they are on the west side of the Jordan with Jericho staring them down with all this opportunity in front of them. Here's the odd part. Here's where this story gets really odd. What does God do next? Now, imagine, if you can, just really quickly, but here we are... Uh, a, a, a military force they just moved into enemy territory, and there's enemy number one, Jericho. What would you do? I mean, wouldn't it be something like this? Wouldn't you um, call all of your military generals together and, and you assign somebody to start, you know, sharpening the swords and, and somebody makes is assigned with making some, mo some more bows and arrows or something like that. I mean, wouldn't you get all the military minds together and, and begin to think through how you're going to do this? Wouldn't, wouldn't you do something like that? Do you notice what happens here? The army of Israel is over on the west side, and there's the enemy right there. And what does God say? I want you to cripple your army. I want you to circumcise them. Uh, I, I want you to take all of those fighting men and turn them into a bunch of, bunch of moaning babies. Oh, I hurt. Uh, turn that machine of yours into a hospital ward to circumcise them. 
Now, gang, everybody here, I hope, knows what circumcision is. Don't make me explain that. Um, but it's a, it's a covenantal sign. It's a symbol. It was a symbol for Israel. And what did it symbolize? You are told what it symbolizes in verse 9. It symbolizes the rolling away of reproach, the rolling away of defilement. Gang, we still circumcise uh, infant boys today for hygienic purposes. This is a symbol. Circumcision was a symbol of the rolling away of defilement, of sin. And then, right after that is done, they are told, celebrate the Passover. You know what the Passover is? You remember that one, don't you? Uh, that's the one back in, back in Egypt. And uh, it came on the end of those um, 11 plagues and, and uh, all of those terrible things that Moses does. And at the end, there in Egypt, what they're supposed to do is kill a lamb, take its blood, smear it over the doorpost. And on a, on a particular night, the death angel is going to pass by. And everybody with blood on their doorposts, they don't lose their firstborn. But those who don't have any blood on their doorposts do lose their firstborn. Now, gang. In my, it, it, as far as I know, the only place in the Bible where those two sacraments are performed back to back is Joshua 5. At a time when you would have expected something else. I, I mean, you would have expected some kind of military conflab, some kind of military powwow, but what do you get? You get two sacraments being uh, observed. One uh, symbolizing sin and one symbolizing the deliverance from bondage. What's going on here? Well, in a word, preparation. Preparation? What, what, what do you mean preparation, Jimmy? How is that preparation? Well, gang... When it comes to getting ready for launching an attack on anything, when it comes to preparing yourself to, to, take, to grab opportunity by the throat, the best preparation available is a thoroughgoing grasp of who you are. Let me explain it a bit further. You know what preparation they get for their coming months? They get a reminder that they are who they are because their sin has been cleansed by the shedding of blood. That's what they get. Here's this military machine moving into enemy territory with hostile eyes staring on them. And what is the first thing that God does to prepare them for what's come up, what's upcoming? They get a reminder. They get a reminder of their sin, and they get a reminder as to how that sin is dealt with. Can't you just see the armies of Israel? Okay, let me sharpen up my, uh, my, my sword here and get ready for this thing. And, and, and Joshua says, hold on. Wait a minute. We, we got some things to do. So, gang, the, the, the lesson is, Whatever obstacle you face, whatever challenges are before you, whatever opportunities lie in front of you, 
going forward requires that you have at the center of your being a firm grasp that you are a sinner and that you have been delivered from your sin by the spilling of blood. They are being told in Joshua 5, in essence, that the only difference, fellas, between you here and those people inside those walls of Jericho, the only difference between you and them is shed blood. Just like in Egypt, the only difference between the people who lost their firstborn and the people who didn't lose their firstborn was shed blood. They are being reminded that they began... In lamb's blood. And that they are going to go forward. In lamb's blood. That their, their sin had been taken away by the spilling of the blood of a lamb. Going forward is not going to be successfully accomplished by some kind of grand military scheme. It's not going to be accomplished by developing some mighty army. Here's how you're going to go forward. I want you to remember who you are and how you became who you are. The danger that lies in front of you has nothing to do with Jericho's army. I'll take care of that, says God. The danger is forgetting that you are at the core of your being, at the very center of your procreative life, there is a reminder that you are sinful and that that sin was dealt with through the shedding of blood. And once those two things are done, the commander shows up. And he says the same thing to Joshua that Moses that, that was said to Moses in Exodus 3, and it was said by the very same person. And even here, once the commander shows up, we're not given any kind of military strategy. We're simply asked, invited to worship. Gang, do you see what I'm trying to say? What you see here in Joshua 5, is so spiritual, it's so unmilitary, it's so, it's so unlike me, it's so unlike the way the church of Jesus Christ operates these days. Oh, the fighting is going to come later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But for now, you need to be reminded why you are who you are. The call, ladies and gentlemen, is to worship. God places the, the priority on them knowing who they are. You know, the 21st century evangelical church is so strategized, it is so, so goal-oriented, so corporate, so marketed. We are a lot more comfortable in leaning on the arm of the flesh. You know, does that communicate? Lean, that's biblical language, leaning on the arm. We're a whole lot more comfortable with goals and plans. Listen to me. The most fundamental thing that I can do 
to prepare us for the coming year is to not tell you what goals we are going to set for the new year. Oh, we're going to take Jericho within days. The most fundamental piece of leadership that I can offer you is not to tell you the new programs and the new uh, schemes that we've got for the coming year or to tell you how much money we want to raise so that we can do such and such. The most fundamental piece of leadership that I can offer you, ladies and gentlemen, is not to tell you anything about what we're going to do or what we hope to accomplish. The most fundamental piece of leadership that I can offer you is what Joshua offered to Israel. I need to remind you who you are. I need to remind you that, ladies and gentlemen, the priority is not on what we do. The priority is on what we are. And we are what we are because of shed blood. Gingham, we are a people who sin, all of it, as bad as it is, as ugly as it is. Our sin has been taken away by the death of Jesus Christ. And this table calls you to come worship the commander. Now come. Come love on him. And when we're finished, there's some opportunity out there. Let's go get it. But first, you've got to know who you are. Our Father, I do pray that you will remind us of that very thing in these coming minutes, that you will be pleased by what, uh, what uh, flows out of the hearts of your people, that as we remember our sin and remember the satisfaction of our sin and the shed blood of Christ, that you will stir us up not to do something, but to be something. To have at us as the center of our being the great knowledge that we're forgiven men and women and we're forgiven because of what Jesus did for us. We pray, of course, in his name.